welcome to Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood, hosted by me, Millie Brooks. Hello, fine human beings, and thanks for tuning in today. This is episode 74, and today we are going to chit-chat with my good friend, Ashley Hingston, all about fat phobia and body shaming in the medical community. It's a very, very hot topic that nobody likes to talk about, and it's kind of taboo. So welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for being here. It's so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Millie. Well, let's get to the lowdown showdown um, on who you are outside of infertility. Like, what do you do? Where do you live? Give us a small glimpse into Ashley's world. So I'm 33 and I live in Orlando, Florida with my husband and we have uh, three rescue cats that are basically our bosses. We, we just uh, work for them pretty much. And um, as far as work is concerned, I'm a licensed mental health counselor and um, I used to primarily work with adolescents who were at risk and worked with a lot of pregnant and parenting teenage girls as well. And then I made a big switch about four, almost five years ago to working for behavioral health in the insurance industry. So I kind of went over to the dark side a little bit with that. Whoa. I love how you said that you went over to the dark side. Anybody that I know that works for insurance companies, they're like, please don't ask me any questions about it. I met some people when I initially started who are counselors as well and were like, they did not want to tell people that that's what they did because they didn't want people to judge them. Oh my gosh. It's so intense. And so you're currently working for an insurance company? I am, yes. I've been with them for about five years. And what does your day-to-day look like? So basically what I do is I review prior authorizations for behavioral health. So like if you've ever had a procedure or medication or something that required your insurance company's permission before you were allowed to get it, um, that's what I do is I review those kinds of requests for behavioral health services. So it's me and a bunch of other therapists. And it's definitely different than working with clients one-on-one like I used to do. Um, but the money is a lot better (laughs) and (laughs) of course it is. It just rains money when you're working for an insurance company. (laughs) Yes, there, there's a lot more money in insurance than there is in nonprofit, even though that's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. As somebody who worked in a nonprofit, that is hysterically accurate. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so you review claims for people that are seeking medical or mental health support? Yeah. So for counseling services, for, um, like substance abuse treatment, for, um, like case management services and different types of mental health services that are, um, all like outpatient, not residential or hospitalization for behavioral health, but 
all the other behavioral health stuff that the company I work for covers. And most of the people that I'm reviewing claims for are people who are on Medicaid in Florida. So it's a lot of um, a lot of folks who are really in need of services and don't have a lot of resources. You know, I'm glad you're on the other end. Well, thank you. Like you're, <laughs> yeah, you're a good person. You You seem like somebody that would be very, I don't know, you seem like a very good judge of character, and I, I think you would be a, the right person to be reviewing that kind of stuff. Thank you. I definitely try to be. And we don't, like, sometimes my mom will say to me, I could never do that because I would just give everything to everybody. And I was like, well, then you would have a hard time professionally. But I feel, <laughs> I feel like we do we do err on the side of giving people what, you know, the services and stuff like that. So we're not as, as evil as some people might think that we are. <laughs> yeah. You're swirling your mustaches yeah, behind exactly. the... <laughs> as I swim in my pool of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just... Who, who, who is that? Like, um, Scrooge yeah, McDuck in it? He's like diving into piles of coins. I wish that were me. It's not, it's not quite that that glamorous, but. Oh, this is great. This is great. All right. So why don't we get an idea of your journey so far? Tell us your trying to conceive story. And why don't you start with when you and your husband um, met and then started trying to conceive? Sure. So we met in 2006. Um, We actually met through a dating website back before online dating was cool for young people Um, to the point where I used to lie to people about how we met because I felt like people were going to think I was totally desperate for meeting a guy online when I was like 18, 19 years old. But um, we actually grew up about an hour apart from each other and we're going to the same university. We both went to Florida State, um, but we would really never have met any other way. Um, so we went on a date when we were both home for the summer in South Florida in 2006 and have been together ever since. We got married in 2014 and um, we had always talked about having children. That was always like a non-negotiable for me as I wanted to make sure that my husband wanted children. And he always said he wanted kids, but was not, my husband's not the kind of guy who like sees children and is just so thrilled and wants to like play with everybody's children, but has always said he wants his, you know, children of his own. So, um, We got married and we're kind of establishing our careers and we got to a point where like my career and stuff, I felt pretty good about where I was. Um, My husband was still kind of hesitant. And then in like 2018, I said to my husband, I'm going to give you another year to like figure out whatever this anxiety is about kids. And then we're going to start trying. I'm going to get off birth control. Um, So he said, okay. And in 2019, that's what we did. I got off the pill and um, pretty quickly realized that my period was not going to show back up. Um, I have always had issues with my cycles and 
back when I was about 16 years old, they said they thought I might have PCOS, but never formally diagnosed me or tried to treat it. They just put me on the pill. Oh, and, um, gosh. Yes. I've heard that so many times. I know. Oh, gosh. Sorry to interrupt. No, okay. no, you're good. But like the pill is not a cure for PCOS. No. You know? And it masks everything that's going on. Yes. And um, it never addressed the real issue because I basically, after my first period in middle school, did not get another one for two years. And then only had maybe a couple a year. And then my mom was like, let me take you to somebody because this is not normal. And they just put me on birth control. Like they did an ultrasound to see if I had cysts, but I didn't have any. And what people don't always understand about PCOS is that you don't have to have cysts. It's um, it's not a requirement of that condition. So when I didn't have cysts, they were like, well, here's birth control and let's regulate your periods. Um, so I was on the pill for 16 years and my periods never came back. And so after about six weeks of not being on the pill anymore, I was like, I'm not waiting. Like some stuff online said like three months, wait three months. And I was like, oh, fuck three months. I'm not waiting that long. So I went to my OBGYN and said, what's up? Like, we, you know, I'm really concerned. I don't have any expectation that I'll ever have regular periods. What do I do? And they gave me um, progesterone pills. And it, basically what that does is triggers a withdrawal bleed, which is like a quote unquote period. And um, progesterone. Yes. Wow. Because I was always under the impression, like, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just an infertility sleuth. But <laughs> I was always under the impression that progesterone is the, like, don't get your period hormone. Right. And I guess what, what happens is they put you on these progesterone pills for 10 days and then they take you off and it's the withdrawal from the progesterone that starts the bleeding, and then they call that period. I see. Okay. Carry on. Sorry, I just had to, like, clarify that. No, I know. It's kind of a weird thing, um, especially because a lot of folks who are doing infertility treatment are on progesterone after IVF or after, you know, any kind of medicated cycle to help with a possible pregnancy. Um, so you don't think of it that way. Right, right. Okay, so... You got your period, and what happened after that? I reached out to my OBGYN's office, and they were like, that's great. Take a prenatal and see if you ovulate. And I wrote them back, because this was through their little messenger portal, and I said, um, I have no expectation that I will be ovulating or getting another period. What do I do from here? Like, what happens if I never get another period? And I got zero response. Oh my gosh. I just feel like they threw you out to the wolves. Like they were just <laughs> They were just like, "Okay, cool. Let us know how it goes." You yeah, know? Look. I'm like, "Uh, this is not going to work." So, I I was like, "Okay, this is not going to work for me." And I had some friends who had gone through or were going through infertility and 
some of them said like, you should go see a reproductive endocrinologist, like forget this, just go see somebody. And that's what I did. Um, I just referred myself to one. So that was, I mean, at that point, how long had you been trying, have you, had you even been trying to conceive? Was it just a month or what was that timeline? It had really only been like, a couple of months since getting off the pill. And um, I had been trying at home, like taking ovulation tests and trying to like see if I could predict any kind of a surge and sending pictures to a friend who was like, go feel your cervix. I'm like, I can't even find that thing. Like, do I turn right <laughs> at the pill station? Like, where where do I go? <laughs> I'm like... Yeah. And people are like, it feels like the tip of your nose. That means nothing to me. No, (laughs) it means absolutely nothing. And it turns out that I've now had two reproductive endocrinologists who have both told me that there is no possible way that I could feel my cervix because of how high up it is. So I was searching all this time. All this time. (laughs) I was oh, like, I, was I can never find it. I didn't know where it was. <laughs> oh <laughs> man, that's a that is <laughs> that is some information, right? That that is a vital piece of information <laughs> for somebody trying to conceive. It's like you may not be able to find yours, so if you can't find it, don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, okay. So you went to your first re. What was that like? That was where um, some of the whole issues with BMI and where my um, size and things like that come into play because the first RE, I met with her. I went to one uh, appointment with her. She ordered tests. And I remember saying to my husband, I was like, I'm not sure this woman is going to be willing to work with me. I'm just kind of getting a vibe. And I was like, but let me just do these tests and like see what happens. And um, did all of her tests, did our first uh, date with Wanda, my transvaginal ultrasound with her. And basically she sat me down on the second appointment and said, you have PCOS. Um, My testosterone levels were high. Um, Not a surprise. Uh, I was expecting her to say that. She prescribed me metformin and she said, I don't have any reason to believe that you're ovulating on your own. Um, So you would need at the very least to take medication in order to try and induce ovulation, but I'm not going to prescribe that to you. And I was like, why not? And she said that my BMI was over her requirement for treatment. She had um, like a specific number. I think it was like, I forget if it was 40 or 45 and was not willing to prescribe me anything until my BMI was at whatever level that was. And I was like, okay, um, it confused me that that would not have come up on day one. Yes. Yes. Like, hell, I mean, come on. Right. Like you knew then. Yeah. You could have told me that the first thing. And then we would have just been like, okay, we're done. We'll go find someone else. 
But she was like wanting to put me back on birth control. And I was like, well, why would I do that? I've already been trying to have a baby. Why would I go back to birth control? And she's like, oh, you're not ready to get pregnant. Oh, wow. And started telling me that because of my size, I'm not ready to get pregnant. Um, Which just, I just burst into tears. And she was thinking I was upset because she was telling me to lose weight. I wasn't upset about that. I was upset because what I heard was, you're not ready to be a mom. Mm. And I just felt absolutely terrible because it was like, you've just told me I can't have children naturally, that it's probably never going to happen for me without help, but you won't help me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where do you go from there? What, what were your next steps after that? She didn't even give you some next steps. Not really. I mean, her thing was she was very particular about being on. She had two specific diets that she was okay with people being on. I told her I wanted to see a registered dietitian. She told me that those were not effective. No. Yes. No. Now now she's just wrong. Right. She was like, oh, those aren't effective. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I already had somebody's name. I was like ready to go. Um, And she's like, no, those aren't effective. Only this diet and this diet. And I was like, I can't even eat half the stuff you're talking about on the diets that you're talking about. And I said, and I also, I have an eating disorder. I've been in recovery for 10 years. And I was like, I'm not about to go back to doing the stuff that I used to do because I'm in a much better place now with my body and my mental health, my physical health yeah, than I was when I was doing all that. And I'm like, I'm not willing to do that. And she just still continued to say like these two diets, these two diets, which had no, like I researched all of it and it's like, there's no scientific basis for why I should do either one of them. It's just basically what the fad diets of right now are. Oh my gosh. See, that's what I would, I mean, I can't believe she's recommending that. Like I'm already lost. I've, I've lost so much respect for her. Like already I can't even trust her opinion or her judgment. Yeah. It was really ridiculous. And it was like, then she started saying that like she and people in her office had also been on these specific diets. And I'm looking at this woman and I'm like, you look like you eat bread. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't tell me, okay, maybe you did that for like a week or two, but like, girl, I know you eat bread. I know you do. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is, this is ridiculous. So when I left her, I was devastated, um, and went to my husband and just, you know, talked to him about it and cried and just was really upset. And, my husband was basically like, screw this lady. But, and I was like, but what if uh, my biggest fear at the time was, what if every fertility doctor I go to is just like this woman? And I just keep getting doors slammed in my face. Like, what am I going to do? And my husband was like, we're just going to try like as many people as we need to try. And I kind of got myself together and I was like, okay, then I'm just going to have to be, I'm going to have to be strong about this. And the sad thing 
and I'm sure we'll go into it more, but the sad thing about being a person in a larger body and going to doctors is that I always feel when I go see somebody new, like I have to be prepared to fight with them. Mm. I feel like I've got to have my armor on. Like I've got to come in there, like, you know, with my fists up, like I'm ready to do battle with you. And it isn't until they've kind of proven to me that they can treat me like a person that I can like put that down and let that guard down. Wow. That's, <sighs> yeah, you got to go in like you're, you're ready for a fight, you know, because yeah. that's what history has shown you has what you ha- have, you've had to do that. Yeah. Time and time again for many, many years. And, um, it's really, it's sad, but it's kind of, I've kind of gotten to a point where if I have people who I meet doctor wise, who treat me like a human from the beginning, I'm always surprised. And I'm always really grateful. It should be like that every time. And I realize that, but, um, it's definitely not. And so I assume that you left that clinic. You did not work with them. And what happened after that? I did. And I basically started looking at other clinics in my area and calling around and started asking from the first phone call, do you have a BMI cutoff? And the funny thing is that these clinics have them, but nobody knows them. So when you call, nobody's like, oh, it's 40, oh, it's 35. You know, like they can't just shoot me a number. They're just like, well, I don't know. Or, oh, I know Dr. So-and-so feels that, you know, being at a healthy weight is important or blah, 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 but doesn't give you an answer. So I was basically like, okay, this is going to be kind of a crapshoot. And I made appointments with two other doctors and my next doctor that I saw is is my current reproductive endocrinologist. And I met with him and he just sat me down in his office. We talked for a long time. Um, He wanted to do testing also, but I gave him the testing I had. And at the end of it, he, he had kind of walked me through like all the different fertility options. And I looked at him and I said, are you really going to do all of this with me? And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, all of this is great, but I just came from somebody who shut me down because of my my weight. And I just want to know, like, is any of this really going to happen if I do all this testing that you're asking? And he just looked at me and he said, that's what I do. Wow. That's refreshing. Yes, hugely refreshing. And I was like, okay, like we're in business. Um, so I have been seeing him ever since. And we did, we started out with letrozole. We did six medicated timed intercourse cycles. Um, and I did have a pregnancy from one of them, but ended in an early miscarriage. And, um, then we did four IUIs with him, which were not successful. And we are preparing to do IVF. So you feel you feel good about who you're working with now. I do. Um he has always treated me like anybody else and I appreciate that. I have no problem with, you know, if a doctor wants to talk about nutrition or exercise or what have you, any kind of health stuff, but it's the when people start putting their emotions and their biases into it, I have a problem with it. And his thing has just always been 
He just treats me like any other patient. It's not an issue. Um, they've never weighed me unless they needed to. Like my weight has never been a thing for them. And I greatly appreciate that because I've become more and more aware from people reaching out to me that that is not always the case. And I know for me, it wasn't initially the case. So they've been great. When you say that doctors are putting their own biases on you from the get-go, what does that look like? I think, I mean, I've had doctors make really inappropriate comments for many, many years. Like I remember my first OBGYN telling me that my body made her sad. Oh my God. Yeah. And I was like 16. So, you know, when you're like, that would hurt at any age, but like, especially as a teenager, you're like, well, shit. Oh my God, Ashley. And I was not like, like at the point at, at this stage of life, like, I am a larger person. I use the word fat to describe myself because I don't feel that's a negative term. Um, I'm a plus size woman, but at 16, I was probably still shopping at the Gap. I was probably like a size 14 or something like that. I was your average woman. I wasn't thin, but I was just like, you know, it's it's amazing how people will stigmatize people in larger bodies and act like something is wrong with you. So even from childhood, it was like something is wrong with you. Mm. And Mm. nobody ever, and, and meanwhile, all that time I've had an eating disorder since I was nine years old. Nobody ever asked me like about my eating habits or about my mental health or about any of that stuff. So it's like people just made comments like that. And I thought, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. I I mean, I think you're onto something really important here that the delicacy of, of what happens after these comments are made and after the patient leaves the office, you know, and what they end up doing to their bodies is so, can be so detrimental. I mean, I remember listening to another infertility podcast, um, where it was it was actually big fat negative which is the a, a big you know infertility podcast in the UK and um the foxes were describing she was describing the crash diet that she had to go on to reach this certain BMI mm-hmm. and the crash diet did not sound like it was a good idea no Diets don't don't work as far as like science and stuff has found. Like the the failure rate is pretty high, but it's sad how many even doctors will support you going on diets like that. I can't tell you how many doctors I've had who have advocated for fad diets. Some of them I've done because the doctor told me to do it. Um, one doctor I went to in the past signed me up for some kind of hospital program without my consent for some kind of liquid diet just because of my size. Um, You know, so a lot of doctors will like support you in doing stuff that is not healthy. Wow. Wow. That's just wild to me. 
it's just wild. I mean, like, n- like not giving your patients any sort of helpful, healthy resources. Nope. You know, that is so, that feels like it's part of the problem. It absolutely is. And I think, you know, people, I think a lot of that comes from the way that society in general feels about fat people and larger people. Um, It's not, it's seen as like, you chose to be this way. You're unhealthy. You're doing this to yourself. Like, you don't know why somebody is a larger person and people think that when they look at me or they look at a larger person, they know what I eat or they know what I do or what I, you know, how I exercise. And it's so interesting because there's so many people I know who are bigger people who run marathons, who train for Ironman, who eat better than some of my thinner friends. Like it really just depends on the person, just like it would be for a thin person. You can't just assume by looking at someone. But everybody just, you know, a lot of people just kind of assume that if you're a larger person, it's like, oh, you're doing something wrong and this is your fault and we're going to shame you into doing what we think is the right thing. But that doesn't work for anybody. Science has proven that. It actually leads to people gaining more weight. Weight shaming leads to weight gain. And also people will not get the help that they need and stop going to doctors. I love that. Weight shaming leads to weight gaining. That's so powerful, Ashley. So true. How do you think the medical community could do better in this area? I think the main thing is not equating weight with health um, because weight is not always the major indicator of how healthy you are. There are a lot of thin people who have the same health issues as a larger person. There's no medical condition that I'm aware of that is exclusive only to larger people. Um, You can be thin and have diabetes, high cholesterol, you know, all the things that they kind of warn against with larger people, you know, it's not exclusive to just us. So I think, you know, making weight like this sole determinant of health is a big thing. And also, I really, I feel like BMI has just got to go. There just needs to be, there has to be a better way because BMI is a math equation from the 19th century. And don't quote me on this, but I heard a rumor that the BMI situation was developed by insurance companies. What? That would not surprise me if that was true. (laughs) (laughs) But what I was actually... So don't, like, listeners, please don't quote me, but, like, I, I, you know, (laughs) it's just something I've heard. I looked, I actually looked it up last night because I um, was kind of writing down notes for talking to you. And one of the things they found was that it was actually designed in the 19th century by a mathematician from Belgium. And he was helping the government determine obesity rates so that they could figure out how to allocate resources. 
Wow. That's literally what I found. So I'm like, okay, wow. So it's from some guy in the 1800s who was trying to help the government out and he's not a doctor. <laughs> and we're still A doing- mathematician from Belgium. Yep. And we're still using it. Oh my gosh. You know, so a story that I heard along the same lines um, with this is that a lot of the... So when we originally were talking about this issue, Ashley, I was sharing on Instagram that I was anticipating some fat shaming from my OBGYN regarding the weight that I had gained during my pregnancy. And um, this wasn't like hysterical fantasy thinking it was based off of knowing that a few people who th- were in my network um, had gotten this type of feedback from their OBGYNs. And, you know, they're just like pointing to a chart and where you land on the chart in terms of your growth, you know, which is so it's it it's a whole other episode, like where you land on a fucking chart. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but I was sharing this with sharing this news with another friend and she was telling me that a lot of those charts, a lot of that data that they compare your weight to is, is historically only taken from white people, white women, And that made me furious. I mean, I was just like, like flipping tables. Like how you cannot pigeonhole people from different ethnicities into a white statistic. No. Ah, it made me so mad. But does that does that make sense to you? Like, am I just like, am I like spewing fire here just for shits and giggles? No, that totally makes sense. And it's just, it's ridiculous that we would, that we would compare people like that at all and have a chart for pregnant women. Why, first of all, why would I care what I weigh compared to what Susie down the street weighs with her pregnancy? And how does that impact the health of my baby, the health, you know, my personal health, like as far as where I land on a piece of paper? Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, So if somebody's listening to this episode that has come up against some of this stuff when going to a fertility clinic, when dealing with their OBGYN, what types of suggestions do you have for them? I would definitely say... um, and normally I hate this phrase in the infertility community, but in this in this case, um, I think it's warranted, is not to give up. Um, because I'm glad that I didn't because I did find a doctor who was willing to work with me. And there are clinics out there as far as fertility treatment is concerned um, where BMI is not restricted. So clinics like CNY, which have a bunch of different locations, um, don't have that restriction. So if you basically, it's one of those, like, if that was, that was kind of my last resort at one point is I was like, if I cannot find anybody in Florida, 
I'm going to go outside the state and go to a clinic like that. Um, So you definitely have options as far as fertility treatment is concerned. I know sometimes it can be harder to access with travel and things like that, but do keep searching in your area. Um, If you're experiencing that as far as your primary doctor or your OBGYN, please go get another one if that's available to you. Um, If it is at all possible for you to switch doctors, please go do that because nobody deserves to be treated that way. Everybody deserves to be treated like a human. You have the right to dictate how that subject is handled in your appointments. Um, People don't realize like if you don't want to get weighed, you don't have to. Um, I do you know, because I don't care. But I mean, if you want to go on backwards and say, you know, sometimes I would turn around so I wasn't going to see it and say, just write it down instead of announcing it to the whole floor. I can't stand when they do that. Oh, I hate the it. Nurse, oh, you know, 100 and blah, blah. I'm like, why are you telling everybody? It's none of their damn business. <laughs> but you have the right to do that. You have the right if somebody is, you know, giving you you know, shit about your weight or whatever it is to say to them, like, I don't wish to talk about my weight in this way. We can talk about it in terms of, you know, we can talk about my blood pressure. We can talk about this. We can talk about that. But like, I'm not interested in in this type of conversation. So I think sometimes we think of doctors as like the be all end all. And we don't realize those people work for us. And you have the right to fire them and go get someone else. And you also have the right to tell them what you will and won't accept. Yes, 100%. I will add to that um, notion that when you go to the doctor's office and they weigh you, um, how I avoided knowing where I landed on the chart was saying out loud, no, I don't wish to know. Um where I'd land next to the weight chart for pregnancy. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. Like just telling people, telling the doctor the information that is helpful and what's not helpful. Absolutely. I think you have the right to curate that and just let them know because otherwise, you know, maybe they just have a way of, you know, doing the same thing with every person And nobody says anything because everybody's like, let them do their spiel or maybe it doesn't mean anything to them. But I know for me, like if, if I was pregnant and going through that, I would probably say the same thing because it's like that kind of stuff would get in my head. Not everybody is like me, but that kind of stuff, if it's going to get in my head and like disturb my personal peace, like, please don't share it with me. Yeah. I'm good. I love it. Yes. And I think we, we put doctors on such a pedestal, you know, they're up there with priests and politicians and celebrities. And I don't think that's healthy for anybody. No, definitely not. Cause they are also, they are not infallible and they have their own personal biases. I've definitely been through that where I can just tell that some doctors just get like overly emotional or upset about, what I weigh. And I'm like, why do you even give a shit? Like, you're not the one who's carrying it around. Like that's, I get in terms of like a health perspective, but sometimes when people put a little extra stuff in it, 
or like, you know, your body makes me sad or this or that, or, you know, ads like comments that are just unnecessary. I'm like, dude, you have your own shit you need to work on. So they're not just because they have a degree. It doesn't mean they're perfect or that they know everything or that they get to judge. Anything you wish you knew before you started down this trying to conceive journey? Yeah, I think, I mean, sometimes I'm like, I just wish I had started sooner um, because, you know, it took so much longer than I expected. But, um, you know, I also wish that I kind of knew about, that I had explored my own personal health stuff a little bit more before getting into it as far as like the PCOS and those kind of things. And some of that I don't think was my fault, but um, because I had I had asked questions like in my 20s, like 10 years ago, I had asked about, can I get tested to see if I'm fertile? Like I, I just kind of like asked these questions and doctors were kind of like laughing at me. They were like, oh, we don't even, like we're not even going to bother with that. Um, so it's like, I kind of wish that I had known there was something going on. I wish I had pushed for that more and advocated for that more and explored it, um, to kind of get to the bottom of it. And then I think I was, I also wish that doctors were more clear about what their personal guidelines are and who they're willing to help and who they aren't so that nobody has to waste time. I've definitely gotten a lot of, um, like DMs on Instagram from people who like didn't know until it got to the IVF point that their doctor wouldn't do IVF with them or, you know, things like that, where it's like, you just end up wasting a lot of time because people are not up front. And money, like people, a lot of this stuff is being paid out of pocket. Oh my gosh. Oh, absolutely. And that was something, even though my doctor has been amazing, when we sat down with him to discuss IVF, I was worried that he was going to say no. And my husband was like, how could this man spend a year with you and then do this now? And I was like, I will flip a desk if he does it. But I really, you have to like, I was kind of bracing myself for him to be like, oh, no, we can't do that. Like we did all of this. We spent all this money and all this time and we've exhausted your insurance benefits. But not that, not for you. But thankfully, he was he was good about it. But um a lot of people, they go through that. What makes your blood boil about infertility? Oh my gosh. There are so many things. I know we talk about all these things a lot because sometimes I just message you and I'm like, do you see this shit? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And I love it because I'm typically thinking the same thing. Yes. (laughs) We're very simpatico in that way. Yes. But I think I think one of them though, and I touched on this a little bit earlier, is that we don't talk about fertility until it's a problem. And I wish that we talked about it sooner. And I wish that we were testing hormones sooner and looking at AMH and just figuring out like that women knew how much time do you have and like what is your situation before it becomes like a life crisis. Wow. That. that is so powerful. Nobody has ever said that before, Ashley. I think that is so powerful. Like owning your fertility before you want to have a child or not. Absolutely. Or not. 
But nobody, everything up to this point is always about don't get pregnant. If you look at if you look at him the wrong way, if you do this, if you do that, you'll get pregnant. And then you think all your life, well, if I just get off the pill, the minute I get off the pill, I'm going to get pregnant. And you don't. And nobody's in all these years I've been saying to doctors, you know, asking, can I get tested for fertility? Everybody tells me no. When I'm saying to them, I've had all these issues with my periods, even on birth control, I'm not getting periods. I'm kind of worried about this. And everybody's blowing me off. And even when I say I'm off the pill, now I don't have periods. What do I do? Everybody's still blowing me off. And it's like, it it takes so long before they will recognize that there's a problem. And by then it's devastating. So I wish we did that sooner because it's, you get to a point where you're like, you're suffering going through this. And what if some people could be spared that or at least have information up front or years ahead of time? And by that time, I'm sure the clock has just started to like, feel like it's even going faster too. Because a lot of people don't even like, wait, six months to a year, six months to Mm -hmm. a year, then come and see us. And by that point, you know, you could have gotten a couple, you know, a year older. And things just like we all know that age is a big factor in fertility, you know? And um wow. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, how can people find you and connect with you and follow your story, Ashley? So I spend a lot of my time on Instagram um, and I'm at rage underscore against underscore infertility. And please feel free to follow me and DM me and we can follow each other's journeys and support each other because I think um, that community has just been invaluable to me. Well, thanks so much for joining us today and we'll be thinking about you Um, as you start your IVF journey in the new year. Thank you. All right. Ciao. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week. Bye.